Well, good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. I think the proper Baptist call and response is, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. It is such a beautiful morning. We've had a, uh, an amazing breakfast already, had all sorts of people down there, lots of good food. And now we move into our time of worship where we dig into the Word and we look at the most important event in the history of humanity. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we started this actually last week. We've been in a series looking at um, the good news of the gospel. And, and, and so week one, we really took a look at what is the gospel. And one of the things that we wrestled through was that the gospel is for believers. The gospel is for those who are sick. The gospel is for those who are dead in their sins. And Jesus Christ literally stands there as a great physician, willing and able to heal all who will come to him. Um, and, and as we noted during that week... Um, we don't have to hide our sins from God. We don't have to put up a front. We don't have to act like everything is okay. We can be completely vulnerable with God, and he accepts us just as we are for two reasons. One, he knows exactly where our hearts are. Right now, in this moment, he knows where our hearts are. And even in a beautiful morning like this, when we're coming to celebrate the Lord and his resurrection, there's a spiritual battle that's going on right now. That this is offensive to the powers of darkness. This is offensive to the powers that would like to enslave us to sin and keep us dead in our trespasses. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ stands ready to heal anyone who comes to him trusting. And as we said, just as the poor beggar pleads his poverty and asking for assistance, we plead our sickness, we plead our sinfulness in asking God for mercy. So we started there, but we moved on. We took a look at the atonement of Christ and why did Jesus have to die? Isn't there some other way that, that God could save us than, than sending his son to actually be hung on a cross to be crucified? Isn't there any other way? Well, and in, it, it is really hard for us to understand that. Why is this the way? But the point is, is that if the scripture says we need an atonement, if we need someone to die for us, then even in our culture, if that's hard for us to relate to, if that's hard for us to wrap our arms around, it doesn't mean we need it any less. We can't, we can't look at truth in light of the cultural lens. Every one of us lives in a certain time in history. And we always interpret truth through that lens. What do you think it's going to be like 100 years from now? Won't things be different? But the truth of the word will remain the same. That if we needed someone to come and die for us, because the scripture says so, then our cultural relevance has little to say about it. But then we took a look at the idea of Jesus Christ actually coming in bodily form and looking at him as, a, as the true God-man, the one who can mediate between Christ and man. And that was going to be important because when we look at his death, we have to believe that he actually died a physical death, that it actually Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was a neighbor to people. He was actually hung on the cross in that body. The incarnation, when we celebrate Christian, we, well, Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Christ, that Jesus Christ, in very nature God, taking on the likeness of his creation, becoming a man. Why is that important? Well, it's important because the cross, the man's blood, it demands that Jesus Christ would have his body broken and his blood poured out for us. So if he's not really a man, if he's just God, taking on some sort of an illusion or an image of man, but he's not actually man as we are men and women, then he offers us little hope. 
So we have to look at Jesus Christ as truly man and truly God, but then we look also at the resurrection. We started this last week. We looked at the resurrection, and if the resurrection didn't happen, as the Apostle Paul said, then we are still dead in our sin, and we ought to be pitied most of all. Because if the resurrection did not happen, then this is it. We should eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But here we are today celebrating the resurrection. And I, and, and I, and I hope that we all agree. Maybe, you, maybe you're not here yet. But I hope we all can agree that the resurrection actually did happen in the past. And it is a reality. It is a truth in the past that has impact for today and gives us hope for tomorrow. Because only if Christ actually conquered the grave do we have any hope in eternal life. If he did not come back from the dead, how should we expect to come back from the dead? How, how do we expect to conquer the grave if it's not through what Christ has already done first? And so we're going to look at this this morning. That's kind of how we got here. But if this is your first time this morning, don't feel bad. You're not going to be lost. These, each one of these weeks can be taken on their own. This week can be taken on its own. And so the text is going to actually be in Acts. And I know that's a little bit of a strange Easter morning text. But get your Bible out and put your finger in two places. One finger in Acts chapter 1. And then Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to, get where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at this from the perspective of Luke's historical narrative. Uh, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote this book here, the Acts of the Apostles. And it is a historical narrative. It is looking at uh, the life of the early church and what had happened. And there's some really cool stuff to look at here concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to actually take a look at the ascension and nearness of Christ. That's, that's really our focus this morning, but we're going to start with the resurrection. So there's three places we're going to stop this morning. We're going to take a look at he is risen. We're going to look at he is reigning and returning because that's also a very critical truth for us to hold on to. And then third, he is working even now within us. So he is risen, he is reigning and returning, and he is working even now with us. And so the major doctrine that I want to defend this morning is that an ascended Savior is not an absent Savior. It is beautiful to look at what Jesus Christ did, and he didn't leave the gospel at the cross. Sometimes when we think about what is the gospel, what, what, what is it? It has to be more than simply the death of Jesus Christ. If that's where we stop, there's little hope in that. If that's where we stop, there's not a lot of hope in that. The gospel has to go further than simply the death of Christ. Is the death of Christ necessary? Absolutely. But if Jesus stays dead... That's only half the job. He has to conquer death as well. And so the whole gospel is that Jesus Christ came, took on the form of man, lived a perfect sinless life, died a sinner's death, and was raised from the dead. But then not only that, he ascended to the right hand of the Father and is currently reigning and is returning. That is the gospel. If you miss any one of those elements, you don't have the full picture of what Jesus Christ came to do. So we're going to take a look at this idea of, of what does it mean for our Christ to not only be risen, but to be ascended. And does that have any implication for the work that we're to do here? In between uh, the second advent, it, it, what is happening? So we're going to look at this. There's, this. there's the ascension, which is where Jesus went up into heaven. The second advent is when he's going to come back. What we're living in right now is the in-between time, in between those two very important moments in time. And the first one is dependent on his resurrection. What ascended? Well, Jesus' true body that was resurrected.
what does that mean for us today? So if you will, stand with me and we will begin reading our scripture. We will start in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and we'll go all the way through 11. And this is Luke giving that historical narrative. Remember, he's saying, here's the story. Here's what took place. Uh, In verse 3, it says, he presented himself. This is speaking about Jesus Christ after the resurrection. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard me. You heard from me, from John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So right there, this is Jesus Christ appearing to the disciples, and then he goes up to heaven. And there's these angels standing there saying, this is how he will return. So this is the first part of what we're going to look at today. But then go and turn over to uh, chapter 10, and we will start in verse 39, and we will just read two verses, 39 and 40. This is, this is Peter preaching and speaking to the centurion. And Peter says this, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So what we're going to take a look at, as I said, is is this idea of in between the ascension of Christ and the second advent, there's something that we've got to recognize here. There's work that has to be done, but there's also a very beautiful side of this that we've got to look at in Jesus Christ and what he is doing during this time. Um, sometimes it's easy for us to start to think about, uh, you know, Jesus' retirement is at the ascension. Jesus is out of this gospel business. He's done. But that isn't true, and I want to explore that um, this morning. But the first thing that we've got to look at when we start to talk about uh, he is risen, uh, the scripture says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering and appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. But the interesting thing here, I want you to have this in your mind, is the same body that was put to death is the same body that was raised from the dead. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, and he appeared to them not as some ghost, He appeared to them in flesh. And there's only power in the resurrection if it's the same body that was killed that is raised to life. There there is no power if Jesus comes back as a hologram and the tomb is still filled. Correct? Some people say, well, here's what happened. Actually, Jesus never died. Right? We talked a little bit about that last week, the swoon theory. Yeah, he was beaten up pretty bad, kind of passed out, fainted. They put him in the cool tomb, got a couple of good nights rest. The spices revived him. He rolls away the stone, heads out on the trail and says, Hey, guys, I'm back from the dead. That is not possible. But also, some will say, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. 
Maybe. But even if they went to the wrong tomb, how do you explain all of the appearances? Hundreds of people saw Jesus for 40 days. And so some will say, well, yeah, well, you can hallucinate. You can have these images. You know, lots of recordings of people having hallucinations. Yes, but you don't have group hallucinations. You don't have groups of people seeing the exact same thing. Yes, sometimes when the Navy SEALs are training during motivation week and they've gone without sleep, without food, and they've been worked really hard, they start to see things that aren't there. But you know what's never happened? All of them haven't seen the exact same thing. They're all in their own fantasy land. But here you've got hundreds of people saying, this is what I saw, eyewitness account. Luke is talking about an eyewitness account. He's referring back to them. Peter, do you think Peter was there for some of this? He says it. Do you remember when Jesus Christ, after the resurrection, he goes on the, on the sea, along the sea and he calls them. He says, hey, you caught any fish yet? Do you remember that story? Then they pulled in a bunch of them, like 153. And he says, come on, let's have breakfast. And, 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 and so he sits down, they get there, and there's a coal fire, and there's fish, and there's bread. And Jesus has a meal with them. And one of the things he says, he says, do ghosts have flesh and blood as you see I have? Do you have anything to eat? He says another place. Jesus Christ was in very bodily form. The same body that was, was killed is the same body that was raised. That's where the power is. But Jesus Christ appeared to many people. And so some will say, but how can the resurrection happen? How is the resurrection even possible? And we touched on this a little bit last week. Um, but what we believe is that it's through the power of God. As you see in the scripture, it says, but God raised him. I want to put that on the screen. Very important point. Who raised him? Who's responsible for this? God. So that may seem like circular reasoning to you. But here's the point. What is powerful about the resurrection is that it is an anomaly. It's not something that happens all the time. If it happened all the time, there would be very little special about it. It's special because it doesn't happen normally. This isn't naturally what happens. What naturally happens is you die and you rot. But the scripture says that you will not see decay. And it was, it was a prophecy about Jesus Christ that his body would die, but it would not decay. Why? Because God would raise him. And so when we're talking about the resurrection, how can a resurrection happen? We have to first say it is a supernatural event. And supernatural events require supernatural causes. It means nothing for us to look for a natural explanation for a supernatural event. It doesn't make sense to do that. Now, we could debate, do supernatural things happen? I don't know. I think we've got one instance right here. But we could always take it further back, and I think it's worth always noting. I think that we are pretty interesting things, aren't we? We can come up with all the materialistic explanations we want to, um, but there's still something going on that's, that's beyond our material naturalistic explanation, and I think that there's a supernatural explanation for it. Uh, a few weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, I was stuck in DFW uh, at the airport, and a big storm came in. And so, I'll, uh, you know, they said flights canceled till tomorrow, and I'm like, I'm not staying at DFW. I'm getting out of here. Well, there's this crazy guy I'd been sitting with, um, very foul, crazy guy. Uh, he jumps up, and he's like, I'm out of here. I'm getting the rental car. You want to come with me? And I'm like, hmm, let me roll the dice here. <laughs> I said, you know, well, 
sure. <laughs> so we leave security, and I'm thinking, this is it. You know, I mean, I hope this guy's got a rental car because, you know, we're, we're, we're gone here. And, well, this older gentleman says, hey, can I tag along? And we're like, yeah, come on, let's go. So I end up in this car with these two gentlemen, and we're driving, uh, you know, for five hours from Dallas all the way up here to Tulsa, and we're getting to talk, and this guy here, he's this, like, professional gambler and comes up with all these different computer models for gambling, and I'm like, interesting, but I'm Googling his name right here just to, you know, fact-check him, and he was legit. I was like, okay. So I said to the guy in the back, I was like, I was like what do you do? And, he, and he, he's like, oh, hi, my name's Jim. I'm the dean of the OU Medical School. It's like, hmm, interesting. It's going to be a fun car ride. So we start talking about uh, apologetics. I brought it up. I was like, so what do you guys think about God, you know? And uh, I think this would be a fun, a fun conversation. And this guy, he's, he's, he's this analyst guy and very hardcore materialist. And he says, all we are is, is zeros and ones. I think that one day we'll figure out how to download our brains and yada, yada, yada. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And I said, I said have you ever thought uh, about, about the, the, the problem of the mind and that we are different than our brains and that your brain is carbon and chemicals that's doing all of these things and there's different parts of your brain that accounts for all of these different transactions. You know, you got this part that does the he hearing, the speech, memory, all of those. But what part of your brain pulls all of those things into something cohesive? Where, what is that? Where's the ego? Where's the I? I have no idea. I'm like, yeah, it's interesting because it's, it's not all physical. And I said, besides that, even if you do reduce it to physical, all we are is this complex carbon and chemical cause and effect machine. I said, you don't have any free will. And you trying to change my mind right now is, 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 is really useless. Because what you've really got to get in is change the chemical <laughs> makeup in my brain because I'm just responding to the thoughts that are happening to me. I'm a determined cause and effect machine. And he just looks at me and he said he didn't want to talk anymore. Then the... <laughs> Then, then, the, then the dean from the medical school, he goes, he goes, man, I, he goes, I'm not, you know, I'm not jumping on the Christian bandwagon here. He goes, but I'm going to tell you, all of the students that we take through, I tell them, we do not understand how this works. We do not understand how this biological system works. It is incredibly complex. And I said, isn't that amazing? And I said, I, I, I have one reason to believe in God from that. And I said, when you look at complex, specified information, it demands a designer. It demands a mind. So even when we look in our world and we're trying to look for natural, physical explanations, sometimes we run out of money. Sometimes we run out of explanatory power. But when we look at the resurrection, once again, we've run out of explanatory power. You can't explain a supernatural event with a material cause. So what is the cause? I believe that the explanation is sufficient. God. If God did it, and I know that might seem like a cop-out, but if God did it, that's a sufficient explanation, is it not? So we start there. But also, there's beauty in the resurrection, as we've already noted this morning. Is the resurrection is the answer to our death problem. Every one of us is going to die one day. And you may not think at all about it right now, and you may have some years, but it may be your time. Yesterday morning, my dad calls me, and he says, hey, I was riding at the motocross track. A guy fell down right in front of me. I stopped to ask him. I said, are you okay? And the guy couldn't say anything. He just shook his head no and then passed out, and he died. Had a heart attack riding his motorcycle. And so my dad's shaken up because he just was there. He's the first one on the scene. 
but you do not know when your time is up. But you know what? It's a one-to-one ratio, one birth to one death. Unless Jesus comes back, more than likely, within 100 years, every person in this room right now will be buried somewhere. If Jesus tarries and doesn't come back in 100 years from now, there will be somewhere where every one of us can be found, where our graves will be. Maybe our kids or grandkids will go visit us, or great-great-grandkids by that point. But that is the point, is that this life will come to an end. And that's a problem for us if there is no eternal life. But that's the beauty of the resurrection, is the resurrection is the answer to our death problem. But I want to talk about this whole concept of expanding the gospel, that he is reigning and returning. And I want to put this on the, scru- on the screen. The gospel must include not only a resurrected Christ, but a reigning Christ who has ascended and one day will return. You see in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, He was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. So he ascended. But that's not the end of the story. If you were to go over to Mark 16, verse 19, it says, So the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That is, that is an idea of, of Christ going and ascending to the right hand of the Father. That is him, him reigning with the Father. He has returned to the glory he once had. So right now, there is a Christ, a Messiah in bodily form. Sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. We, we, we don't like to think about Jesus as being in some finite capacity. And we don't understand exactly how the hypostatic union works. How can he be 100% God and 100% man? There's not a theologian alive who can perfectly explain how that works. But what we are left with from Scripture is that he is in every way as we are yet without sin. The Scripture explicitly says that. He is Emmanuel, God with us. It says that he was in very nature God, yet did not equate equality with God to be something to be grasped, but humbled himself made himself nothing, took on this, uh, the form of a servant. So you have to understand that Jesus is the eternal God-man. There was a time before his humanity. He has existed for all eternity as the second person of the Trinity, the eternally begotten Son, who then, in one point in time, took on flesh. That's Christmas. That wasn't when Jesus began to exist. If you think that, that's, rethink that. That's not true. He ex- he's existed for all time. As John 1 says, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then it says a little further on that he came and dwelt among us, because what? The Word became flesh. So you cannot escape this paradox of God coming and taking on flesh, but for a purpose. Not because he didn't have anything else going on but he came so that he would be crucified for us but then that same body would be raised to conquer death for us and then he ascended and now reigns with the father and is preparing for his what his return if your gospel does not include a resurrected christ and an ascended christ and a reigning christ and a returning christ you have a sick gospel you're missing some very important elements So we start there. We start to look at this idea of the resurrection. But right now, he is reigning and returning. As we see here, he's right now setting at the right hand of the Father. 
But this is the beautiful thing we see in Acts 1.11. It says, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Can you imagine the disciples? They're up here on this mountain, and they see all this. They're just walking with Jesus. I don't think Jesus said, Hey, guys, you're about to see something really crazy. You think the transfiguration was interesting? Wait a second. I don't think he told them that. So they're walking along, and he's teaching them, telling them some cool things, and it's like, where are you going? And they're trying to figure this thing out. And then there's these angels. They're like, hey, what are you looking at? Hey, by the way, as you saw him go, he shall return. And can you imagine him running back down the mountain, back into town to do what? To tell people of what they've seen. You know, I think sometimes when we, when we get this, uh, this, this fear that overcomes us, we're lacking confidence because we haven't seen the Lord. And I think they had confidence because they had just seen some incredible things. When they went back to town, you know what they're ready to do? They're ready to die for what they saw. And many of them did die for what they saw. You don't die for something you know is a lie. You might die for a lie not knowing it's a lie. But these people believed it and gave their lives for it. And they had all the confidence in the world. I don't care who you are. I just saw Jesus ascend. And two angels told me he's coming back. Could you put yourself in that place? Imagine you seeing that. Would you care what anyone at work thought about you? To find out you're a Christian, you would say, I could care less if you think I'm cool. I could care less if you respect me. What I just saw is reality. It's real. But sometimes we're so far away that our confidence wanes because we haven't seen this in a while. I want to put it on the screen because I think it's important when we wrap our heads around this. We lean on the memory of the triumphs and greatness of our God shown to us in the past to help us stand when our faith is tested in the present. We always lean in on what we've seen God do in the past to help us when our faith is tested in the present. And I think that that's what these these guys would do. They would look back and remember this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus Christ was a triumph. It was a victory. And they would lean in on that victory. Many days are coming when they would be persecuted for their faith. Many days are coming where they will be killed for their faith. But this is the beauty that they would, they would rely on this memory and the greatness of God when those times came. So I think that this is something worth thinking of right now for us. I don't know, I don't know where you stand with your faith being tested today. Um, I had an interesting conversation actually in breakfast. I won't tell you very much about it, but there was a gentleman who said, I, I said, are you going to stay for service? He said, no. Would you be offended? I said, no, I'm, I'm not offended if you don't stay. He's like, well, I've lost my faith. I said, Okay. So we talked, we talked about that. But I'm just wondering, has it been a while since we've seen the Lord? Has it been a while since we've seen something that's got us excited, that's got us confident in what we believe? It's possible. But I want to spend the remaining of our time on this third stop, which I think is one of the most important ideas for us now Considering the resurrection is true, considering his risen and reigning, 
and returning. As he is working even now within us. And I believe that Jesus has not left the resurrection, uh, left the gospel at the resurrection. Um, but this is the beautiful idea that you see in Acts 1.8. It says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you go back to Mark's gospel, I'll read it to you. Um, but he says, this is in chapter 16 again, he says, After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Do you see that? Jesus appeared to some of them and said, go back and tell them what you saw. They went back and told the others, and they're like, nah, I'm not buying it. So Jesus is like, okay, he shows up, and he rebukes them for not, not believing in the first place. But he doesn't leave it there. Jesus goes on to say, and I want to put it on the screen for you to read, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Jesus didn't leave the gospel work at his resurrection. He has left the gospel work to us now, but we don't do it alone. But he says, here's the truth, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is verse 15 and 16 of Mark 16. And the text goes on in verse 20, and it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, while the, while the Lord worked with them. Do you believe that? He didn't say, just go do it. I'll be up here. I'll come back. You won't be expecting me. But in the meantime, it's all up to you. He's literally saying, that I'm going to be with you. And that's what, actually, when we look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, do you remember what it, what it is? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But then he goes on. It's a very, very, very beautiful ending. It says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if we just leave Jesus Christ dead, we only have part of the gospel. Even if we move to the resurrection of Christ and we stop there, we should celebrate it. I'm not saying don't take, don't take it as a, don't celebrate the resurrection. We should. But I want to expand your gospel image is that even today, Christ is with us. Even though he's raised from the dead, even though he has ascended to the right hand of the Father today, he is with us. And he said it himself. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And as proof, it says earlier, we just put it up there. And they went out and preached everywhere. While what? While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Do you see? Christ gives us assistance even after the ascension. So today, as Christ is in heaven, we believe that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We don't know where that is locally. There's a theological thing you got to wrestle there because there's a such thing as a repletive and local presence of God. Where is God? God's everywhere. So how do you sit at the right hand of the everywhere God? Good luck. But <laughs> Jesus has ascended, and he's reigning in glory, and he's coming back. But until he comes back, there's work to do. What is that work? To preach the gospel to who? Everyone. Through the whole creation, Jesus says, but the beauty is that when they went and did that, 
the Lord worked with them, which I believe was a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew when he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I think this is the call for us today, that we preach the gospel. We believe and we preach. We believe because we have had our lives touched by the gospel. And we preach because of that exact same reason. And we are effective in our preaching because Jesus Christ has not forsaken us. Jesus said something else very powerful to his disciples. Um, it's actually in the Gospel of John, which has, I believe, direct application for us today. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then he goes on, he says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And then he goes on, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And check this last part out. And manifest myself to him. Do you see Jesus? If you don't, maybe you don't love him. And that's not a, are you in the club, or are you out of the club statement. That has nothing to do with it. But Jesus gave a promise that those who love him, he will manifest himself too. And there's this beautiful cycle. And so sometimes we, as the Pharisees, ask for a sign. And Jesus says, a crooked generation asks for a sign. You won't have another sign except for the sign of Jonah, which was Jesus' burial and resurrection. But you know what? There is also a sign that we get. That he, Jesus Christ manifests himself to those who love him. It's a beautiful thing that goes on there, and that's in John 14, 18 through 21. But without Christ, we are orphaned and left to the devil. I believe the, the devil intends to do us harm, and unless Jesus is with us, we are in trouble. We truly are as orphans. And so today, as we begin our close, I want to ask you, and I want to put this, put this on the screen, are your fears a result of living a sanitized, powerless faith stripped of the supernatural? Are your fears a result of living a sanitized, powerless faith stripped of the supernatural? Have you made in your mind a perfectly natural Jesus who is far off? A perfectly natural Jesus is someone who died 2,000 years ago and was a great teacher, but you have no access to him today. That is a perfectly natural, inaccessible Jesus. But if you believe that he is truly God, if you believe his words, he is accessible to you now, right now. And not only that, the gospel didn't end in his death, but he has risen, he's ascended, he's reigning. And we look forward to the future when he returns because he's actually coming back. So are your fears a result of living a sanitized, powerless faith stripped of the supernatural? I think people throw this around a lot. They say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Well, sometimes we like to say, I only believe in the things I can see. But if we trace that line of thought, it doesn't take us very far to get to a lot of things that we believe in faith. Take the electron for one. But do you love Jesus? Do you obey Jesus? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so I want us to end today with this thought that an ascended Savior is not an absent Savior. Just because Jesus Christ 
rose from the dead and ascended does not mean that he is absent. And so as we prepare to close this morning, I want to remind you that you are not alone, that Jesus is near, that he's worth trusting in. If you'll stand with me, we'll close this morning. I don't know what brought you here today. Maybe it's your annual church visit. That's okay. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that we are meeting in the house of the Lord. This isn't the only place God is. God is everywhere. He's not confined to any space. But the word says, when we gather together, he is with us. And I think he's here today. I think he was with us at breakfast this morning. I think he was here with the baptism. He's here today, right now. So I believe these words. Jesus says that, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't believe that his ministry ended in the resurrection and ascension. I believe he is near us now. And that he's working with us to give us success in the preaching of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I'm so thankful for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that the words that were spoken from your scripture this morning pierce our hearts. And if we are living in fear because we have sanitized and stripped our faith of all supernatural for whatever reason, Father, I pray that you break our hearts over that. And I pray, Father, that you continue to show us the truth of your word that Jesus Christ is not far from us. And all who trust in him, all who believe, he has given the right to become children of God. But it's only through his work on the cross that we can be reconciled to God. And it's only through his resurrection can we have hope in eternal life. But there's a day for every one of us where we will be on our deathbeds or we will be taken out of this world in a flash without even saying goodbye, without getting our things in order, without sending that last bill, without responding to that last email, without doing anything to set things in order. It may be our time when we are taken up and it is over. In light of that truth, God, please let us not go on putting off eternal matters, sleeping while the time of salvation is near. But Father, at the same time, I believe that none of us can save ourselves. There's not a single person who can walk an aisle or say a prayer and that somehow puts you obligated to save us. But it's your Holy Spirit that starts a work in our hearts and as the hound of heaven pursues us, we respond. As you take us from spiritual death to spiritual life, which is not something we can do for ourselves, we respond, trusting you to finish the work you began. So Father, as we meditate on the word this morning, as we meditate on a risen, ascended, and reigning Jesus Christ, let it be clear to us that he is not far from us. And while he prepares for his return, we be faithful in preaching the gospel so that some may be saved. 
Father, for the believers in this room. I pray that you give us the rest of this day, a peace in our hearts, a joy in our hearts as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 